Don't worry, I'm not preaching today, just introducing the preacher. Uh, <laughs> that was a pretty good joke, yeah. Um, so uh, it's my genuine pleasure to introduce our guest speaker for today. Uh, his name's Matt Johnson. I first met Matt, uh, I'll tell you a little story how I first met him. I got a call from him, and he was a, at the time he was a youth pastor of Coquitlam Alliance Church, okay? That's in Coquitlam. And so... Uh, he uh, gives me a call and he says, uh, hey, I got, a, I got like seven or eight youth pastors in the Tri-Cities area, in the Coquitlam area, wanting to start a, start a chapel at these worship nights that we do where we pull, pull youth groups together. So I was like, okay, let's have a meeting. And so at Metrotown, right, Metrotown Food Court, eight of us sat around a circle and one of the things I said to the guys was like, okay, one of the, one of the really kind of sticky parts but important parts of doing something together in a city and actually trying to take ground, not just share a bunch of, not just share an evening, is somebody has to lead the thing. Somebody has to actually go, I'm going to make this my problem, and we're going to go somewhere with it, right? And so I was like, I, I just asked the awkward question. I was like, so I didn't know any of these guys at the time, but I just, I just, I felt like I was supposed to ask it. I was like, so who among you is the, would be the natural fit to be the leader of all of you as peers? And instantly everyone just pointed, Matt, <laughs> like seven out of eight, except Matt, and Matt just looked stunned. He didn't point to himself. Um, and so there's a, I mean, it's, it's a cute little story, but imagine what kind of person you'd have to be for that to be the subtext of a, of a group of pastors that don't talk about this. Probably the first time they talked about it, and everyone obviously pointed at Matt. Speaks of who he is, and I, that's kind of set the tone for my friendship with Matt over the last two and a half years or so. Uh, I consider him a great friend. Uh, he's, now, uh, uh, he, he's now moved on. He's been upgraded his position at CAC uh, to, to something like that. Is it upgraded? I don't know. Promoted out of youth ministry? Um, so uh, now he does the community group stuff, which is great. But he's a great friend, great speaker, and uh, it's my honor to introduce him to you today. So can you give a round of applause for Matt as he comes up? Thanks, hey, can I pray for you first? Yeah. Let me pray for you real quick. God, thank you for Matt. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for the way that he loves your words, for the way that he loves people. Uh, I pray that uh, even now you'd bless his family as they're not here. Uh, God, would you just give him the strength to speak and uh, just to listen to you even as he speaks. Thank you for his time and his sacrifice to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, hello, church. How are we doing? Oh, my goodness. It takes my church three times to answer that question. This is fantastic. Maybe we should have services at 6 p.m. I think there's something to this. Cool. My name is Matt, and I am so glad to be here. And as Jonathan said, he beat me to it. Uh, what a great friend he has been in the past three years in my life. Just, um, you know, all, all the stuff that he said about me, and I thank you, goes right back to him, too. Whenever I talk to youth guys, hey, who are we going to talk to about points to Jonathan? And so I want to thank you for your legacy and for uh, just with the whole chapel movement and your dedication to God, it has been so good getting to know you. And then meeting his parents, more so uh, Pastor Greg, uh, kind of, I hired you as a mentor, but I haven't told you that yet, but i uh, very, very thankful for you. Um, yeah, just in this transition from youth pastor to another position in my church, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, just about calling, because I, I feel that I'm called to youth ministry, but right now just not serving fully in that capacity and what that kind of looks like, and so Pastor Greg uh, has been helping me through that, and it has been a blessing to get to know the Mitchell family, and now the blessing continues. I get to meet you guys. I have been greeted by half of you already. You didn't even know who I was, and you said, hey, thanks for being here tonight. I'm like, you had no choice. I, I had to be here tonight. So I want to thank you so much 
Uh, my family could not make it, but I have uh, a beautiful wife by the name of Kat, um, and she, or she has, we have two children. Uh, we have a five-year-old named Penny, a two-year-old named Lucy. I often joke we have two little princesses quickly becoming drama queens, so they run my life. But right now I have the privilege of being with my mother-in-law, Ruth. We went to uh, the Canucks game earlier. I am a Dallas Stars fan. She is a Canucks fan. I will not tell you the outcome, but she is smiling quite big. So if, uh, yeah, but a, a little bit about my story. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, and my parents were missionaries to the Philippines. Does that resonate with anyone? Just checking, just checking, cool. So I grew up in the Philippines. In fact, my first language was a mountain dialect uh, called Ilocano. How many know Ilocano? Okay. Como están ahí? All right, good. So that's what I was raised with, and then... Uh, we, I was born in the States, and so when we came back, I came back in third grade, and people would make fun of me because I could not speak English. I could only speak Ilocano, and so people were like, kind of, you know, a fob, right? Like, fresh off the boat, fabulous, whatever. That was me. <laughs> and I started getting this nickname in school, an egg. I'm like, why an egg? Like, is it because of the obvious? Like, the shape? Like, why an egg? But they said, no, man, because we don't get you. You're white on the outside, but you're yellow on the inside. Like when you, yeah, that's a good thing. So the scars, they've, uh, yeah, they've healed. They're still there, but they, they've healed. Tears have dried. Um, and so uh, actually after Bible college, went back to the Philippines, and this time went to uh, Manila. We were in San Mateo Rizal, which is next to Marikina, and I had the privilege of serving as a youth pastor there. Again, I felt God calling me uh, to youth ministry, and by his grace, got to do it in the Philippines. And so, spent three years there, and on my third year, I didn't know what was going to happen. Was I going to stay in the Philippines? Was I not? What doors was God going to keep open for me? And I met my wife. Uh, I met Kat. She um, she was born in the Philippines, but migrated here when she was seven and grew up in Port Moody. And then after college, went back uh, to the Philippines to study the arts, and she was in some musical productions. Uh, she was with a musical group called Trumpets, if you're familiar with that. And she served there. And then she met Jesus through a church called Every Nation Victory Church. And they met in Galleria uh, in Manila there. And yeah, this is a good crowd. Everything I say this is awesome. Cool. Well, so if you are familiar, which I'm sure you are, with Every Nation, with Victory Church, the way they push discipleship, when I met Kat, um, you know, we, we met each other, we were talking, and uh, she says, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I, I feel that God has called me to full-time ministry, full-time service in Him. She goes, me too. I'm like, Wow. This is great, and you're attractive. This, this is a good fit. I think this will work. So she came and she visited our church, um, and the first thing she asked, she's like, hey, great group. What do you guys do for discipleship? I'm like, um, you're looking at it. She goes, oh, you're not a church then. Yeah, and I'm like, okay. And so I, we are going to be talking about discipleship tonight, and I wish my wife was here because she takes all the credit for this, for opening my eyes to what it truly means to follow Jesus and what a gift discipleship is, what that means in the believer's life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is that okay with everyone? We're okay with the D word? Okay. So um, 
what we're going to do, enough about me, we're going to talk about who we need to talk about. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about his disciples. And so tonight, we are going to look at Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. Just open up your Bible. There's an Old Testament and New Testament. Get to the New Testament. Then you have the book of Matthew, and the next one, come on, people. Oh, we're there. Good, good, good. Um, Mark, go to Mark chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 13. And we're just going to title this simply, To Be With Him. Him being Jesus. To be with Him. And out of respect for what we are reading, the most important thing that you will hear this evening, if you are able, could you please rise as we read God's word together. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. Can you say that with me? That they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and we just pray that you would teach us what this means. Jesus, would you take over now? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So tonight we are going to talk about a discipleship. And whether you are currently a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether you are not, we are going to be talking about what does the Bible teach about discipleship. And the working definition for discipleship that we're going to use tonight is simply this, to know and follow Jesus. Can you say that with me? To know and follow Jesus. In this life, there are many things, traditions, and people that we can follow. But when it comes to discipleship, this is something unique to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we see this in our passage tonight. There's much that we could look at tonight, but here is where I'd like to spend our time. Number one, what is discipleship? Number two, why we walk away from discipleship. And number three, why we must be disciples. To simply put it, what it is, why we don't do it, why we need it. Does that sound okay? All right. So the first one, what is discipleship? Verse 14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Discipleship is simply an invitation to be with Jesus. And by that definition, we must remember that Jesus is the center of discipleship. Who's the center of discipleship? Jesus. So who is Jesus? Just, just in case we, we've heard this name before, but we have no context. Who is Jesus? In our day today, we rally around people who make change. Some big change. Governments, political leaders, pray for the U.S. Some small change. Sports stars, movie stars. But other than the Pope visiting in the past few years here to Vancouver, our culture today does not typically rally around religious leaders. However, in our text tonight, this is exactly what is happening. In this passage, we see that Jesus has come to a very important part of his life and work. He had emerged with his message. He has chosen his method by going throughout Galilee, preaching, 
teaching, and healing. And in a time where medical aid was not as advanced as it is today, you have this man going around healing people. And in a time where communication was just word of mouth, his fame began to spread from city to city to city, and his presence was sought after. But the author Mark does not let us forget that in everything Jesus did, there was a deeper side to it. Jesus' extraordinary powers were clearly operating not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. We know, we know that it was on a spiritual level as we see Jesus healing people of evil spirits. Earlier in this chapter, verse 10, it's going to be on the screen. For, we, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So the spirits that he is casting out know when they are in the presence of a power greater than themselves. They recognize in Jesus not just a great healer, but a spiritual power and presence of an altogether different order from themselves. And they yell Jesus' true identity as God. Which, as far as we know, the crowds that were following Jesus hadn't yet imagined this truth. And even the disciples had perhaps only begun to guess that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah that they had heard about from their forefathers, the true King of Israel. Now, for us who have read this text before and we're familiar with the concept of discipleship, this passage may not be a big splash to us. It may not get our attention right off the bat, but to those men who were, who were following Jesus, they just painted a target on their back. This was a big deal for them to follow Jesus. They're not following just a medical healer or a good teacher, but someone who is claiming to be God. So who are these men? That's who Jesus is. Who are these men? Who are the disciples? Now, when reading scripture, there are times, especially when there's a lot of names, I skip that chapter. Is anyone with me? Okay, let, let's be honest. I, I, I just skip it here. Half our passage tonight is names. Why? Why do we need to know these names? Why are, they, why are they significant? The significance of the names, though, came evident to me while reading this, and this is how. First, we see by the list of names that God calls. Can you say that with me? God calls. As the scene is set, Jesus calls these men apart from the crowd and appoints them for three things. He could have said, crowd, come with me, but he says 12 names and calls them apart for three things, to be with him, to preach, and to cast out demons. Now, this wouldn't have been the first time that they were set apart. As we see earlier in the book of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he calls out to some brothers. At this point, they have no teacher, which was their custom at that time. So what were they doing? They were fishing, and that was it. And Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we look over that and we say, okay, yeah, they drop their nets and they follow. But you need to understand, if they had no teacher at that time, what they were doing was it. And so what they dropped at that time when God called them, they didn't just drop their nets, but they dropped their past, they dropped their present. What's the third one? They dropped their future, their past. How did they drop their past? Well, if they had no teacher at the time, how did they become fishermen? Most likely their fathers. 
and their grandfathers. It was a family business. They, they taught the men. This was the way of their life. The sea was second nature. They would be there in that work. That was their past. And Jesus says, drop it. And the same to us as disciples. When Jesus calls, he asks us to drop our past. Some of us, we can drop it. Like me, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I, I'm, I'm used to this. I, I get it. So the past, not that big of a deal. But for some of us, we weren't raised in a house that loved us. We weren't raised in a house that encouraged us to follow Jesus. Some of us, we have past that we want to let go, but it's hard. And when Jesus says, drop your net, you say, I can drop everything else except that. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what I faced. And so when Jesus says, drop your net, sometimes we hold on to that past. But then also our present. What were they doing? They were doing what they knew. That's what they were doing. They were providing for their families. They were providing for themselves. And in the same way, when Jesus comes to us and says, hey, I know you are doing what's best for you in this life right now, but I want you to drop it and I want you to follow me. Has he ever, has he ever asked you that? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship, not a marriage, but maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a tough decision. And Jesus says, I'm better. Drop this net and follow me. And you have to drop your present, even though you don't know what's going to happen. And that leads us into the third net. They dropped their future that day. What were they going to do from that day on? Well, they were going to raise families and train their sons and their families to take over the business, Right? That's exactly what they would have done. That's what they knew. That's what they went. And then when Jesus says, follow me. How many of us today, we say, yeah, Jesus, we will follow you. But first, let me graduate high school. First, let me become a lawyer and doctor, just like my mom and dad want me to be. First, let me find that perfect person. I'll get the house. I'll get the white picket fence. I'll get everything. for, And then I'm all yours. It got quiet in here, so I, I think we can all relate to that. Jesus, if I just get this, then I'm all yours. But Jesus says, no, drop the net today. And so we see with these 12 men, he asked them to drop their past, their present, and their future. And I wonder tonight, church, if Jesus is asking us the exact same thing. And when we talk about discipleship, that's exactly what he's saying. I'm your life now. Follow me. So God calls. But he also, God chooses. Why these 12? I believe that it is significant when we read these 12 names that Christianity, following and loving Jesus, began with a group. It didn't begin, excuse me, it didn't begin with a super Christian. Hey, Simon, you're awesome. You're going to lead my church. No, no, no. He takes a group of 12. And we see that create, uh, excuse me, Christianity began and was lived out in fellowship and community. Sometimes we wonder, you know, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Do, do we ever say that? I would love to come to church, but you know, so-and-so is going to be there. I can't worship with them there. I, I, I can't. You know what? Because they're supposed to be listening. I know them. They're not letting you know. And we get so distracted. And man, church and following Jesus would just be great. If it was just me and Jesus. But you want me to participate with this person? I don't think so. Do you think the 12 got away from this? Not at all. 
Imagine the people that were brought together. I want to give you two examples. Matthew, one of the disciples, what was his profession? Where's my Sunday school kids? What was his profession? Tax collector. Just a regular tax collector, though. No, a bad tax collector because he taxed from his own people. He stole from his own motherland, from his own people, and he was hated and he was despised. Yet Jesus says, come and follow me. Now, who else did Jesus call? He called Simon. But Simon had another name, Simon the Zealot. What is a zealot? Someone who would die for their country, who would die for their faith. And so you put these two together, one who has no problem cheating their own people and one who would die for those and kill those who would cheat against their land, yet here they are supposed to follow and worship Jesus together. And you thought you had it bad just because somebody spread a rumor about you, okay? Like, this is how Jesus wanted his church started, through messy people that only he can redeem. God calls and God chooses. God chose this group. And if we were to judge these men by worldly standards, the men Jesus chose had no special qualifications at all. They were not wealthy, no special social position. No, they weren't religious leaders, but they had two special qualifications. Here's the first one. They had felt the magnetic attraction to Jesus. There was something about him that made them wish he was their master. Have you felt that? Have you felt that? You can't explain it. It's just, I got to be with him. I have to follow these words. I have to follow this truth. And two, they had courage to show that they were on Jesus' side. Make no mistake, following Jesus requires courage. In the text, we see Jesus calmly crashing through the rules and regulations. Jesus heading for an inevitable collision with the Orthodox leaders. Jesus already branded as a sinner and labeled as a heretic. And yet, these men had the courage to attach themselves to him. And they did not band together on this blindly, but they did it with eyes wide open. These 12 men had all kinds of faults, but whatever else could be said about them, they loved Jesus. And they were not afraid to tell the world that they loved him. And this is being a disciple. And in our text, this less than ordinary group were set apart for two reasons. One, to simply be with him, to be with Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is to be loved by Jesus. Oh, excuse me, is to love Jesus and to be loved by him. That first one's easy. Yeah, I can love Jesus. That's not a problem. I can say it all, all day long. I love Jesus. But to be loved by him, for someone to love you for your imperfections, for your wrongs, for your sinful heart, that's hard. You have to drop the net. And that is the life of discipleship, to love Jesus and to be loved by him. And the second, what these men did is proclaim the gospel. They had something to say that matters, and it was Jesus. Now, these men, they were bold. Though their lives were taken from them, they declared Christ. Yet they were humble. Knowing that they were not God, their ways and opinions were not their own, or were not, excuse me, knowing that they were not God, their ways and opinions were not his, so they followed God. Now to these men, Jesus 
was a reality, not a concept. Because a concept, you can control a concept. Diet, that's a great concept. (laughs) I'll get to that. You control that. But a reality, that controls you. If I were to say gravity, man, what a great concept. Well, why don't you jump off the roof and tell me the reality of gravity after you hit the ground, right? And so Jesus, he cannot be a concept because he's not. We didn't create him. We didn't imagine. He has always been and always will be. He's a reality. And so is Jesus the reality of your life tonight? And so these men, they followed him, not blindly, but with eyes wide open. And the question tonight When Jesus says drop our nets today, whether it's a past thing, a present thing, an unknown future thing, my question tonight is number two, why do we walk away from discipleship? Why do we walk away from following who Jesus is? And two things, I believe, two things, and this is the youth pastor side coming out of me right now, so enjoy. Everyone who's sleeping, you're going to enjoy this one, okay? First one, why we walk away from discipleship, I believe it's because of perspective. Can you say that with me? Perspective. Everyone, please put your index finger up like this, and I need you to point up to the sky. Now, this is what I need you to do. I need you to look up, and I need you to start spinning it clockwise. Start spinning it clockwise. No one say yeehaw. I am not promoting that lifestyle at all, or it's music, okay? So... Do clockwise. Now, what I need you to do is I need you to bring it down in front of your face. Keep going clockwise. And I need you to bring it down underneath your face and look down on it. Which way is it spinning? Matt Johnson's doing voodoo in the church. This is not good. Let's do it one more time, okay? Go clockwise. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not, yeah. Get off the stage. And go down again. Which way is it spinning? There you go. Some of you, I just lost you. You're going to be doing this all night. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Why do we not, why, why don't we choose discipleship always? And I think it becomes because of perspective. Because God says to look here, but we're constantly looking down on ourselves. When we say this is impossible, what does God say? All things are possible through me. We're looking down instead of, I'm too tired. I'll give you rest. Nobody loves me. I love you. John 3.16. I can't go on. My grace is sufficient for you. I, I could be going, I have a list of 20 more verses. We could continue to go through this. But I think sometimes we're so busy looking here thinking that no one understands. But Jesus is saying, no, I died for that. I totally understand you don't understand. You need to be looking up. You need to be looking at me. And our perspective does not start with us. But just as we said, discipleship is simply being with Jesus. It starts with him. Now, a second way. Our perspective can change. But what else can keep us from being a disciple, from following Jesus? What can keep us from knowing that he is better than anything and choosing him above all else. What? What? And I think it's our understanding of grace. I think sometimes we don't get grace. If you know Jesus, this is what he is about. This is who he is. 
This is why we worship him. This is why we sing. Not just because he's a great teacher or a great healer, but because he is a savior. He does what no one else can do. He came to this earth, God in flesh, made a way for a sinner who was separated from a holy God to be with him. He lived a life that we could not live. We couldn't. As sinners, we, we couldn't. And he died a death that was meant for us. But he didn't take it because he had to. He didn't take it because he lost a bet. He took it willingly because he loved us, because he still loves us. He made a way, and he died on that cross, and he rose again three days later, defeating death. Sometimes that's our biggest perspective. We're afraid of death, and Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I've defeated it. It's done. Follow me. I am life. I am good. But sometimes we miss out on what grace is. We misunderstand it because instead of keeping Jesus' focus, what we tend to do is make us the focus. And being a disciple, we think that's hard work. It is so hard to go out into my work and to tell people about Jesus. I'll get fired. I'll be ridiculed. It is so hard for me to tell my friends that are choosing not to follow Jesus, not to live after God's word. It is hard for me to say, hey, live this way. It's hard for me. Why? Because that friendship will be done. I'll get kicked out of my family. I'll, my girlfriend will leave me. Well, whatever the circumstance is. But the, the reason that that pressure is there is because we don't understand grace. We sometimes think that discipleship is about what we do instead of what Jesus does. And let me explain. I am confessing to you right now because this is how I used to live. And, you know, sometimes I can still tend to live this way, but this is how I lived. I would go to church, like a service like this, and I would go and I would hear great news about Jesus, and I would get excited, and I would be, get a little smarter and a little more confident. I said, okay, this week, I'm going to change the world. I heard the best message. I'm ready. I'm good. So on Monday, I tell a friend. On Tuesday, I tell a friend. On Wednesday, I tell a friend. On Thursday, I'm exhausted. And I'm empty. And I feel depressed. Like, I thought Jesus was supposed to change things. My, my friends aren't listening. They're still not coming. To, that's okay. It's back to Sunday. So I get filled again. A anyone with me on this? I get so excited, and I'm good. This time, I'm really going to do it. Monday, whoo, Tuesday, Wednesday, oh, no. And I'm back here again. But see, if we think that grace is just for us to get filled up, and then for us to do it on our own, we miss what grace is. Because when God fills, God gives grace. But here's the crazy thing about God. He doesn't know when to stop. He doesn't know when to stop. Amen? He keeps giving and giving in those relationships, in that hard time, in those financial crises, in those big decisions that have to be made. Do I choose myself? Do I choose Jesus? The grace keeps coming. I wish I had a bigger picture so I could keep going. But the grace keeps going. And so discipleship is not about what you do. But it's about if people are around you because God keeps pouring his grace into you, are people going to get wet? That's what it means. That's what it is. 
God used the 12, but not because of who they were, but because of who they would be with him. People got wet with the 12. They changed the world. They did because of who they were. No, they didn't have the standard. They didn't have the education, but they had Jesus. And the same with you. You may think, I'm one person in Vancouver. Jesus says, I know. (laughs) But my grace is sufficient for you. And it overflows. And so it's not about what we do and how much we do, but when we walk out, are people going to be affected? Are people going to get wet? Are they going to see the way that you react to something? Are they going to see that you give it to Jesus first? There's no trick here, okay? I'm just simply saying, are we going to respond to who Jesus is? So with that being said, sometimes we miss out on what discipleship is, but why must we be disciples? Why must we be disciples? And I want to end with two quotes. First, how many have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Awesome. Awesome person to study in church history. He was a pastor during, um, during the Holocaust time in World War II in Germany. And his life was taken because of his faith. And he said this about discipleship. In fact, he has a, an amazing book called The Cost of Discipleship. And I believe I have a quote there, if you could bring that up. And he said this, Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your life. Now, that is an amazing quote. But for some of you, I just scared you half to death. Because we look at this and go, yeah, that's easy for him to say. But, you know, and and it's true. There's a cost with discipleship. The disciples, was there a cost? Huge. Huge. All except for one were martyrs. Their lives were taken from them. And John, he wasn't a martyr, but he was put on an island to die. So, yeah, I I think uh, that is a martyr. But following Jesus, yes, there is a cost. But I love here, um, even though this is a fantastic quote, another scholar by the name of Dallas Willard, a few years later, about 40 years later, he said this. He said, yes, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about discipleship, the cost is high. But lest we forget the cost of non-discipleship. There is a cost of discipleship, but please Don't be so worried about the cost that you forget what you're losing if you don't follow Jesus. And he said this, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, It cost exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is after all all an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. So yes, there is a cost to following Jesus. But let us not forget what it will cost us if we do not follow Jesus. We will never find our true identity. We will never find the peace that we so often look for. We will never find the fulfillment that we all yearn for. That hole that we feel in us. That void that will never ever be full, filled 
if you do not follow Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for who you are. And Lord, I, I pray that this, that this message, that it was just plagiarized because this is you. These are your words. Um, this is nothing new that, is, that I figured out the code or anything. This is you. You have told us. You have spoken into each of our lives. Lord, you know the void that's in us and you know that you are wanting to fill that. You know the nets that we have and that we have not dra dropped, but you always say you are better. And so God, whatever we need to drop tonight, may we drop it. Lord, whatever perspective needs to change, may we look to you. Lord, if we don't get grace, I pray that we humble ourselves and allow you to be God. Allow you to be Father. Allow you to be Savior. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of discipleship. And though there is a cost, we thank you for the riches that you do give us for following you. God, would you be with this church? May they choose you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.